0: Yeah, you like this new little table I'm using today? Budget cuts. Yeah, things are shrinking all over. No, not really. Hey, uh, so I don't know if you've heard the story of Russell Edward Herman. Uh, You wouldn't necessarily have a reason to ever have heard his story, but he, uh, he was a man who lived in Macon, Illinois, and unfortunately he died in 1994 at age 67 of cancer. But here's the interesting part of his story. Before Russell Edward Herman died, he did what a lot of people do. He went out and had a will created. And in his will, uh, he was very generous. Uh, he left uh, $2.1 million to a small town in Illinois down on the Ohio River because he uh, felt badly for them. He also wrote into his will that he was leaving $2.1 million for East St. Louis and some community development projects in their city. He also felt badly for the federal government. I'm not sure why, but he felt badly for them, and he left them in his will $6 billion. Incredible, right? There's only one problem. When Russell Edward Herman died, he only had one asset. It was a 1983 Oldsmobile Toronado. Here's the moral of the story. You can't give away what you don't have. For the last five weeks, we have been exploring how God wants to unleash His church to be difference makers. But first, you've got to know Jesus. You've got to get to know Him. And you've got to live your life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus doesn't change you first, then He can't use you to change others. In other words, you can't give away what you don't have. You've got to have it in your life before you can give it away to others. As we've been working our way through the book of Acts, learning what the book teaches about the early church, we have quickly discovered, and it is very obvious, that these people in the early church, they had gotten to know Jesus. He had rubbed off on their lives, and they were living in the power of the Holy Spirit. They were difference makers. In fact, they were creating, as we discovered last week, some pandemonium in their community. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, remember, because it's easy to lose sight of this, these were ordinary people. They were fishermen, accountants, stay-at-home moms, career people. They were just ordinary people. But something happened in their lives that turned them into extraordinary people who were doing extraordinary things. And again, that's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of a person. Well, today I want to look at one final component of their lives, one final thing that I think was a key ingredient to making them difference makers in their community. And so uh, I hope you brought your Bible today. As always, I don't you open it up. We have, we're in Acts chapter 4. We've been working our way through this uh, story that's there. And whether you're using a Bible or your iPhone or iPad or whatever, uh, find your way there. And I want you to read this together. Now, in case you've missed a week or two, uh, let me uh, kind of reset the scene here so you know what's happened when we pick up the story today. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were headed to the temple one day, as we discovered last week, and they they come across this guy, this lame guy who has been lame since birth. He can't walk. And uh, their hearts are touched by that, and they, they heal him. And his healing, though, causes, causes quite a bit of pandemonium. There, there's quite a bit of disruption in the city because of their healing of this man. So much, in fact, that the religious leaders get a little bit upset. And they have Peter and John thrown in jail. And the next day they drag them before the religious council and they threaten them. In fact, they really threaten them and basically say, if you, have any, if you keep talking about Jesus, bad things are going to happen. And so after they have been thoroughly threatened by the religious council, they finally are released. And in verse 23, where we're going to start today, we discover what they do next. Where where do they go? Imagine if you you were hauled before a judge today. And the judge looks you in the eye and says, listen, if you continue to live for Jesus, if you continue to tell people about Jesus Christ, we're going to throw you in jail. Or take away your privileges? I mean, what would you do? Would you be tempted to just kind of go underground? Oh, I'm going to keep following Jesus, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll just do it in a place where nobody sees me. Maybe as you stood before the judge, you'd be tempted to think, but, but I've been given a responsibility to take care of my family. I'm supposed to protect and care for my family. And maybe you'd be tempted to think, well, you know, I, I'll, in my heart I'll keep following Jesus, but I'm not going to do anything outward because I want to make sure I can protect my family. But what would you do? Listen to what happens here in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So they, they go back. The, the church has already been gathered together. I think they've been praying for Peter and John this whole time. And uh, a lot of people think maybe they were gathered in that same upper room that we began with in Acts chapter 1, where the Holy Spirit comes on them on the day of Pentecost. And maybe they're in that very same room again, and they've been praying. And Peter and John go back, and they say, hey, listen. They're they filling in on everything. So these people know that Peter and John, and really they all have been threatened by the authorities. And then here's what they do. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So they pray. Their lives are threatened, and their first response is to pray. And here's what they pray. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And they, they quote some words that we find David speaking in the Old Testament. He says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord, against his anointed one. And basically, you know what they're saying? This isn't new. All through history, people have been rising up against God. All through history, people have been speaking out against God. Verse 27, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They remember that these same people attacked Jesus. Verse 28, They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable Your servants to speak Your Word with great boldness. Stretch out Your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of Your holy servant, Jesus. So they pray. They feel threatened and their response is to pray. And friends, if we're going to be difference makers in our community, if we're going to create some pandemonium then prayer has to be part of the equation. Prayer has to be a part of our lives. And so I want you to notice, though, some specific things about their prayer. The first thing I notice about their prayer is they worshiped. They worshiped. The first words out of their mouths are Sovereign Lord. The Greek term for that word, the Greek word that's used there, the term has the idea of a, a ruler who is unchallengeable. A ruler who has absolute and final authority. They're saying, God, You are the the final authority. You're the source of our trust. They go on to say, You are the one that made the heaven and the earth and the seas. God, You're the Creator. God, You spoke through Your Holy Spirit in the past. And God, you 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 know what's going to happen before it even happens. They have incredible trust in God. And you know what? What they're doing is worship. But here's what else they're doing. Here's what else they're doing. They are reminding themselves that the chief priests and the religious rulers, the ones who are threatening them, are not the ones calling the shots. God. And God alone is in charge. And they are reminding themselves that their, their families, their lives, even their church, is not in the hands of these religious rulers. Their lives, their families, their church is in the, are in the hands of God. And they trust Him. And friends, that's what worship looks like. Worship is about us saying to God, I recognize that you're the supreme authority, and I trust you. I was watching the NBC Nightly News this week one evening. I can't remember which evening, and uh, they had this uh, picture, and uh, it, this doesn't do it justice. Go look at it online, and where, where it's uh, a little brighter. But uh, this was taken by uh, a guy named uh, Eliason, and he took it in Norway. And it's kind of the trifecta of photography because what he has captured here is an incredible view of the Milky Way, a meteor, and the northern lights all in one picture. And I'm telling you, this doesn't begin to do it justice. The monitor I can see it on is even better. Go home and look it up online if you have a good monitor. And it's just incredible, the brilliance of it. And I want you to be reminded. I am amazed by these kinds of pictures. And I want to remind you that our God, the God we worship, the God we follow, is the creator of all of that. It's immense. It's beyond our comprehension. But let me ask you. Do you think that the God who created all of this, that that God can be trusted in our lives? You see, all of us need to worship regularly. And I'm talking about more than just the little bit of time that we spend here together on Sunday mornings. We need to worship every day. Every day we need to declare to God that You are sovereign, Lord, and I have placed my trust in You. Every day we need to worship because you know what happens in worship? We are reminded that our God is the Creator, that He is mighty, He is powerful, He is all-knowing, he is faithful, and He can be trusted. And I don't know about you, but I, I need a regular reminder of that. Because pretty easily in my life, I can start putting the trust in myself instead of trusting in the sovereign Lord. And So I, I, need, to, I need to worship. Now, when I say worship, you know what happens, and especially in our American culture, what we immediately think? We think band, music, and singing. And certainly, that is one wonderful form of worship that I thoroughly enjoy. It's a great way to worship. But it's not the only way to worship. Worship goes beyond that. Worship could happen all by yourself in a few moments of quiet reflection about God. Worship could happen in a conversation between you and a friend when you're talking about what God is doing in your life. Worship could happen as you drive across the river some morning and you look out over the water and you're reminded of the creativity of our God. Worship happens in so many different ways in our lives and we need those reminders. I like when I fly on an early morning flight, which doesn't happen very often, an early morning flight on Delta Airlines. You know why? Because in the terminal where you get on Delta Airlines at RSW, it's Cinnabon. Now, you know what? Now, I know when I go to RSW, I'm going to be hungry for that, okay, before I get there. But there are other times where I can be somewhere, and I don't think I'm hungry at all. But I get within a few hundred yards of Cinnabon, and I smell the wonderful fragrance of those cinnamon rolls baking. And even though I wasn't hungry at all a minute earlier, suddenly I am consumed by hunger. I must have. One of those cinnamon rolls. Worship ought to do something similar to us. Worship ought to create in us a hunger for God. When I take moments to reflect on the greatness of God, that reflection ought to create in me a hunger for more of Him in my life. It ought to create in me a greater desire to say to God, You are sovereign Lord. And I have placed my trust in you. Here's the second thing I noticed about their prayer. I noticed what they did not pray for. What they did not pray for. They didn't ask for safety. They didn't say, you know, God, these people, these horrible people are threatening us. Would you protect us from their threats? God, would you protect us from being thrown into jail? Now, when I think about what I pray about every day, I pray about safety a lot. I do. You know, God, protect my wife. God, protect my boys. God, protect our church. And honestly, there is nothing wrong with praying for safety and protection. When you read some of what Paul wrote in the New Testament, he prays for the safety of those around him. But it's interesting to me that when these early Christians were threatened by the religious leaders, they're not praying for safety. You know what else they didn't pray for? They didn't pray for comfort. They didn't pray for comfort. They were in a very uncomfortable situation. And they didn't ask God, would You give us comfort? You know, we spend a lot of time praying to be comfortable, don't we? God, would You take away this thing that makes me uncomfortable? God, would you give me this so that I will be able to stay comfortable? God, God, give us that house. God, we need that car. God, I, I, I want that other job. God, would you help me to move forward in my career? God, would you just help us to stay comfortable? But it's interesting, in their prayer, you don't find anything about comforts. You know what else you don't see in their prayer? They didn't pray. For victory. They were in a contest. There was a contest going on between the religious leaders and these early Christians. And you know what? As Americans, we know, right? In every contest, there is a winner and there is a loser, right? And so we, we have a tendency to think, I've, I've got to be the one that wins. I, I have a great privilege every Thursday this football season, I'm spending a few minutes every Thursday afternoon after practice speaking to the Mariner football team. And uh, so I speak about some leadership things and teamwork and those kinds of things. And then, you know, I, at the end, I always pray for the team. Now, I pray for uh, safety and for them to play at their highest level and for the coaches to do their best in coaching. But you know what? I know what the, rest, what the guys are praying for around the room, or at least what they're thinking. They're thinking, God, help us win. God, help us destroy the other team. God, help us beat the tar out of them. You know, Because they're thinking about contest and winning and honestly while i'm praying i'm thinking about that too i just seems more spiritual not to pray about it out loud you know we think about victory but when you read their prayer there's nothing about victory you know what else is not there there's nothing about revenge you know what these same people that were threatening them were the same people who had arrested and killed jesus christ and yet there is not a word in their prayer about, God, let's get even. God, we want, some, we want some revenge. It's not there. Listen again to what they do pray for in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable Your servants to speak Your Word with great boldness. Stretch out Your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of Your holy servant, Jesus Christ what did they pray for they prayed in light of the threats that are upon us God would you give us boldness (laughs) that's kind of funny if you stop and think about it because it was Peter's boldness that had them in trouble in the first place Peter spoke about things the government said he wasn't supposed to speak about in places that he wasn't supposed to speak and so what do they do they come back together after they've been threatened and they say okay God Give us more boldness. You know what else they prayed for? They prayed for the power to heal people. Well, wait a minute. Again, wasn't it the fact that Peter and John had healed this guy that got them in trouble in the first place? Yeah. And yet they get together in this upper room and they say, Okay, God, help us to to heal more people. Not just Peter and John, but all of us. Help us to heal people. Make a difference in their lives. And they didn't stop there. They prayed, God, would you give us the ability to do signs and wonders in your name? In other words, would you help us to to do things that make a difference and point people to the power of the name of Jesus Christ? I read that prayer and I think, why would you pray like that? Why do you pray like that? I'll tell you why they prayed like that. Because they were absolutely convinced that the name of Jesus and the power of God could make a difference in people's lives. And they weren't willing to live ordinary lives. They were determined to be difference makers. And you know what? For us, it's easy to just kind of go through the motions of being a Christ follower and Doing the church thing. And outwardly we can look like, yeah, you know, we're we're really into this. But there's no passion behind it. There's no desire for boldness. And it's just pretty ordinary. And these people were determined they weren't going to live ordinary lives. They were determined they were going to make a difference in their city and their community. They believed in the power of God to change people's lives so listen beginning in verse 31 to what happens as a result of their prayer after they prayed the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and spoke the word of god boldly and in our Bibles, there's a break here between verse 31 and 32 but i think the thought is continuous as as luke wrote these this recount of what happens Because it goes on to say, right after it says that they spoke the Word of God boldly, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. I think all of that happened as a result of their prayer. And do you notice the kind of results that come? They have a boldness. Not just Peter and John, the whole church suddenly has an incredible boldness to speak about Jesus. I also notice here that there is unity. Some scholars believe at this time, if you would have counted men and women, that the church has grown to some 10,000 Christ followers. Can you imagine all 10,000 of them being on the same page and having the same focus? That's exactly what the text seems to indicate here. There was an incredible unity because of the kind of prayer they prayed not just that there was generosity they were generously taking what they had been given and giving it away to other people to meet their needs and then the kind of wrap it all together there was this incredible sense of grace on their church they had experienced the grace of God being poured into their lives, and now they had become dispensers of that grace, pouring it into the lives of other people. They were loving and caring for people. They were difference makers. God had unleashed them to change their city, to change their community. He had unleashed them with boldness. Now now here's my question for us. How are we going to pray? we going to pray for safety and comfort and victory, or are we going to pray for boldness? We're going to pray for safety and comfort, or are we going to ask God to unleash us to be difference makers? You see, I'm far more concerned for us as Crosspoint that we become and continue to be difference makers than I am about where we meet or having a new building or a new campus or any, any of that. And that's, that's good. It's all good. It's fun. It's exciting. But I am far more concerned and would get far more excited about God unleashing His Spirit in us in incredible ways. And us being people who have incredible boldness for the Kingdom of God, who are unleashed to point people to Jesus and to change our city, to change our community. That's what I'm asking God to do in our church. Let's pray together. God, I ask You this morning to unleash us as Crosspoint. God, to again, fill us with the power of Your Holy Spirit. Give us boldness. God, we pray for boldness in our community. We pray that through the power of the name of Jesus would come healing both spiritually and physically in the lives of people in our community. God, help us to be a, a church of people who clearly point people to Your Son. Unleash us, God. Work in us in powerful ways. And we'll celebrate and we'll give You the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.